welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. If you have been or are a pet owner, cats, dogs, and everything in between, then you've probably heard this poem. It's kind of a poem that is attributed to an anonymous source, but is a very great comfort to anyone who has lost a pet after a certain number of years of love and companionship. This is the poem. Just this side of heaven is a place called Rainbow Bridge. When an animal dies that has been especially close to someone here, that pet goes to the Rainbow Bridge. There are meadows and hills for all of our special friends so they can run and play together. There is plenty of food, water, and sunshine, and our friends are warm and comfortable. All the animals who had been ill and old are restored to health and vigor. Those who were hurt or maimed are made whole and strong again, just as we remember them in our dreams of days and times gone by. The animals are happy and content, except for one small thing. They each miss someone very special to them who had to be left behind. They all run and play together, but the day comes when one suddenly stops and looks into the distance. His bright eyes are intent. His eager body quivers. Suddenly he begins to run from the group, flying over the green grass, his legs carrying him faster and faster. You have been spotted, and when you and your special friend finally meet, you cling together in joyous reunion, never to be parted again. The happy kisses rain upon your face. Your hands again caress the beloved head, and you look once more into the trusting eyes of your pet, so long gone from your life, but never absent from your heart. Then you cross the rainbow bridge together. I've cried more than once reading that poem after the loss of one of my many, many pets. I've actually had about 12 pets of my own all but one, a cat, and of all the cats, all but one lived between 15 and 21 years. The one that died, quote, early was 11 years old and had health problems after coming from New York to Los Angeles with my father. Then there were some of the neighbor's cats that were in my backyard over the years. There was Diablo, who was a beautiful tuxedo cat, and then, for a very brief moment, there was Oz, a cat, but had cardiomyopathy. I mean, if I even see a cat, I have to stop to talk to it or pet it. Back in around 2005, I was back in the New York area for a reunion of my college radio friends, and I stayed at a place in Chappaqua called the Kittle House, a converted 17th century building made into a hotel and I stayed in the attic room and they had two cats in that area and they both spent time on my hotel room bed and I loved them even for the short time that I was with them. Of all the cats I've had and the one dog, all except two were sweet and affectionate. Each had distinct personalities as distinct as any human beings I've ever met. And I, like most pet owners, have to be careful not to anthropomorphize them. 
and I even have to be careful not to prefer them above other human beings. There is a tendency in our society, and I am culpable of it at some emotional level, to equate all animals with the human being. So much so that, in fact, in some cases, animals become more significant than human beings in certain key areas of our national and world discussion. Do you think I would be wrong in saying that there are some animal organizations whose leadership would say that they were pro-abortion, but want to save even in the embryonic animal from the ravages of human malfeasance? What got me started in thinking about all this? Actually, it was one of the many commercials for animal preservation. I actually cry anytime I see it. There's this herd of elephants and this just born baby elephant and it's barely able to stand on its feet. And what's so touching is how the mother uses her trunk like you would use a hand to hold the baby upright and keep sort of caressing the underside of the baby elephant with her trunk underneath the sort of the torso of, of the little baby elephant. The folks who make these commercials know what they're doing. If you have a heart at all, you're going to want to protect these sweet beings. I'm not sure what the poem about the Rainbow Bridge means when it says that it exists this side of heaven. I'm not sure what they mean by which side. I assume they mean in heaven itself. And uh, let me be honest, from this side of the cloud of unknowing, which is the side that doesn't see everything in terms of God's plan right now, though it will be unfolded to me after I pass away, I want every animal that I've ever had to be running towards me when I get to the pearly gates. Is that either realistic or possible? Will it even matter to me if and when I get to heaven, whether anything from this part of my life, this earthly portion of my life is there or not there? When you've had as many animals as I've had, you can't help but see the level both of intelligence and emotion that gives them a substance that I don't think people in the past had much of an interest in or sense of. Is that a corruption of philosophical or theological thought? I, I can only in this particular aspect of things speak from my visual, emotional sense of things, my gut sense of things, which of course could be completely inaccurate. My desire from this part of my existence to want to see all the animals I have loved in heaven is even reinforced by technology in many ways. I mean, you can't go on Facebook without seeing an animal video day after day after day. And some of them are spectacular reinforcements of the sense of there being something more than just appendages in this life, or even something more than that over which we have been given dominion. You've got the Facebook videos where all you can think of is the lion laying down with the lamb, two creatures that are considered in nature to be total enemies are nurturing one another. Among my favorites have been the bunch of animals visiting a kind of a recreational backyard area of 
someone's house with a trampoline and all sorts of things they can run on. And at night, the animals play on these things. There's one of an orangutan being shown a trick by a human being. And the orangutan watches very carefully as the man hides, I think it's a little ping pong ball in a cup. And at some point, the orangutan seems to realize that it's a trick and rolls over in laughter, just as any human being might do. I inherited a cat a couple of years ago, a tortoise shell cat, plump little thing. She was plump when I got her. She's still plump. And she's one of the few cats I've had that actually, when I come into a room, we can actually have little conversations. Her making these little gurgling noises and squeaks and me chatting with her. Obviously, the sound of my voice has some effect on the interchange. And then she always exposes her belly to me so I can pet it. She trusts me utterly to allow that. Now, that's not a human quality. That doesn't mean that after they pass away, they go to the Rainbow Bridge or any form of heaven. But my feeling is overwhelming that I need and want them to be present in whatever form my heavenly life might take, assuming, of course, I get to heaven. So what's the Catholic perspective, the official Catholic perspective? And is this an area where we have to believe one thing or another. I remember years ago being put off by the statement by one of my close friends that I worked with that, in fact, as far as Catholic theology goes, animals are not in heaven with us. So, for the purposes of this perhaps shorter version of Ordinary Old Catholic Me, I am going to take a look at the thoughts of some Catholic thinkers related to the subject of whether or not our pets are in heaven and if there is any kind of thing like the Rainbow Bridge. Maybe because I didn't like the answer that my friend gave long ago, I never actually read anything about what Aquinas said regarding animal souls. So I did a little bit of quick reading. By no means am I going to be even vaguely exhaustive in what I'm saying right now, effectively, if I'm understanding. Everything created has soul, which means life that generates life. Everything created is linked to everything else created. It's, it's together, it's integrated, it's interconnected. So, for example, in plants, there is something that moves them forward there's life, there's animation, there's a cycle of growth, life, death, and it starts again. So plant life, for example, is something that would have what Aquinas would call the vegetative soul. Animals have something arguably more substantive, and that is something that is called a sensitive soul. They can feel, they have some kind of an awareness, they certainly have an awareness of where they are and what they're looking for and what they need, instinct if you will, but there's an awareness that's attached to it. But they also possess the vegetative soul because they engage in birth and death and life again, the process of uh, procreation if you will. So animals have both a vegetative 
and sensitive soul than their human beings. And again, we have the vegetative, the generative as part of our soul, and the sensitive, awareness, feeling, emotion. But we have some third thing that the animals do not have, and that is rationality, intellect, the ability to be aware of oneself, not just of one's surroundings. Like the animals, we know about the outside world. We sense it, we feel it, we participate in it, but we also can reflect upon life inwardly, which animals purportedly can't do. We can do the abstract. We can philosophize. We can look at concepts. We can experience and articulate complexity. Not perfectly, obviously, because that, of course, is beyond us. We can do that because we are made in the image of God. Of course, I suppose it's no surprise that we frequently abdicate our rationality and our conceptual souls and act like the beasts and have only in our behavior, it seems, vegetative and pure awareness and emotion. One might say that right now what's happening in our society is that everything we're doing suggests that we are not engaging in any kind of inner evaluation of our behavior and of our concepts and that we're falling back entirely on emotion and outside awareness and what we feel. An animal kills and it's not concerned about the morality of killing. Presumably when we do that, we are aware and our conscience reflects that awareness. Man has a three-part soul, if you will, a trinity of soul, a tripartite soul. You can watch, for example, a crow, as I love to do, bury food in a downspout of a building and then come back to it later or the next day and take out some of the food. I assume it's the same crow, but I really don't know. But, but for example, if it isn't the same crow, the crow that takes that food doesn't have a concept of stealing the food from another crow. It can't think in that abstract way. When one of my cats, as she has done, catches a hummingbird, hence she is now banished from the terrace, when I'm going, no, 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 and I'm upset and I'm crying and I, I try to save the bird and I take it off to a wildlife sanctuary to try to save it, my cat has absolutely no thought or concept of what the heck I'm doing and why I'm doing it. She saw a bird, she went to get it, she tried to eat it. The distinction that Aquinas and other thinkers have made is that animal souls and vegetable souls, vegetative souls, are entirely material, whereas our souls include the material but are transcendent spiritual. So that's the idea and the reason why the thinking of Aquinas and others is that animals cannot be in heaven and be sharing in any way in the beatific vision. Of late, people have been saying, oh, Pope Francis said animals go to heaven. Well, what he said in his encyclical on the environment is that the animals are other creatures who teach us to discover the worth of each thing, to be filled with awe and contemplation, to recognize that we are profoundly united with every creature as we journey towards God's infinite light. So really, he's not saying that animals go to heaven. He's sort of saying that it's all part of the integrated 
universe that God created, that one thing is related to the other, and it's all part of the creation, but he's not necessarily saying that animals go to heaven. We love our animals because they share in our sensate experience in that part of our soul. My additional readings suggest that still those realities of theological consideration don't necessarily preclude animals from being in heaven. Now, you might say, and originally I was going to say even here, that, well, when Adam and Eve were on the earth, and when they were walking with God in the garden, then there were animals there, along with the fruit and the vegetables and all of that. But that was on earth. That was paradise on earth. I don't think, I could be wrong, that that was effectively the beatific vision that is heaven. So, I might say in my reading that, well, since we're not going to be in that kind of paradise, we're going to be experiencing the beatific vision. It's going to be so complete that we won't need all these other things. We won't need to watch the hummingbirds in a garden. We won't need to have our beloved cats and dogs, our horses and birds around us. We'll be fully content with merely God's face. So I suppose one could argue that it's my sensitive soul and not my rational soul that wants to see all my pets in heaven. The bottom line is that in the cursory reading I did, it seems that the answer is about whether animals go to heaven is that we just don't know. Absolutely. We don't know. Absolutely. I can't say any more than this. When I'm watching my cats or interacting with them, or sitting watching my hummingbirds, or even on those rare occasions where, in the case of a human child, a, an infant, I was sitting with it and talking to it. There's a very specific, inarticulable feeling, but more than a feeling, uh, almost a complete awareness of something beyond. Maybe the hope of the beatific vision in apprehending these creatures, these animals. There is that rare certainty of God. It passes quickly, but it's there. I mean certainty, not purely faith, but certainty. Because to focus on the creation, on this creation of his, is to catch the miraculous, like one might catch, like one of the apostles might catch, a fish in a net. Maybe it's a combination of the sensate and the rational soul just in the passing moment getting it. Right now, I really want to see my animals in heaven. What I will feel upon my death and upon my private judgment, and then after we're all judged and, and hopefully after purgatory, am in heaven. Maybe it won't matter to me. Just like what I've noticed lately is that as I'm getting older, all the things that seemed important to me about possession, about money, not to say that I don't recognize the need for these things while I'm here, but as I'm getting older, I'm realizing all these possessions, at some point, somebody else is going to be going through them and it won't matter a whit to me because I won't be here. I'll be 
in purgatory or in heaven. So maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it won't matter to me. But here, that is one thing that still matters. I would like, it would be nice. It would be just nice if my pets were also in heaven, that somehow it would be all part of the whole package. How it would look, I don't know. But it doesn't matter because, as they say, God will provide all. Well, as usual, I've resolved absolutely nothing in this episode. Just raise the questions and leave us all to try to sort it all out at our leisure. I hope, though, that you enjoyed the episode and that if you are enjoying it, that you will hit favorite on your podbean.com site and uh, listen next week. I look forward to it. <laughs>